Hey, welcome back. I'm Jeffrey Masters, and this is LGBTQ and A from The Advocate. Today, I'm talking to the best-selling author Jennifer Finney Boylan. We have a really wide-ranging discussion about the past and future of the fight for trans rights. Jenny has had many roles in that, one being in 2005 when she was on The Oprah Show. So we discussed the impact that that had and how that contributed towards changing the perception and the public discourse around trans people. We also discuss the PR of the trans movement, which is something that I actually think a lot about. So we talk about how to best frame these arguments and discussions as we continue to fight for acceptance. And then because it's important, I just want to remind you that CLAD is currently leading the progressive movement to fight for an amendment to the U.S. Constitution. They are doing this in order to provide explicit protections for LGBTQ people, for women, communities of color, and those with disabilities. If you want to join their growing movement or just learn more, you can go to glad.org constitution. All right, let's get to it. Here's Jenny, and she begins by talking about her memoir, She's Not There, and just how much has changed since it was published in 2003. So much has changed since then. I mean, we still have a lot of work to do, but I imagine that as like, short as that time ago, you were still defining what transgender meant to people. Yeah, a big thing that happened with that book was that I, um, when I came out as trans, I, I really had to kind of explain to people what I was talking about. And I remember people saying, so wait, transgender, does that mean you're like super gay? Which I used to, you know, I get all cross and angry and like, no, but now I'm like, yes, I am super gay. That's it. It's like my, you know, I have superpowers. So yeah, I did feel this compulsion or this obligation, I should say, to explain, to bring in, um, and to some degree to defend. So that was 15 years ago. And now uh, my experience is very different. When I speak to people, often they they are already familiar with with transgender issues. In a in a even even the you know the most kind of um, uh, uninformed audience still has a vague sense uh, of what what transgender might might mean. So it, it can be a challenge actually when I speak to different audiences. If I have both a group of seventy year old people and a group of fifteen year olds or twenty year olds in the audience. It's hard to know where exactly to pitch it because I don't want to lose people, but I also don't want to leave, you know, I don't want to leave people behind either. Yeah. So when you're talking to a group like that, where do you pitch it? Well, here's the challenge. I mean, to, transgender 101, meaning describing the different ways there are of being trans or the different things that we are talking about when we talk about trans identities, which is actually a pretty wide family of of issues with people when people are dealing with gender. Um, so it used to be that I would very carefully parse the difference between um, transsexuality, to use a word which we don't actually even use so much anymore, but transsexuality, um, cross-dressing, uh, drag, genderqueer, gender non-conforming. Uh, you know, I would, I would kind of walk, pe- intersex even, I would walk people through all those identities and explain how they're different from each other. And there's still... I believe some value in people understanding the differences between those things because, you know, people are um, traveling on their journeys, what following the the light of different stars. So it, it's I think to some degree it can be helpful if you want to know someone if you want to know where they're going. But when I speak to people now, in some ways, I mean I want people to know as much as they can about the community. But the most important thing they need to 
to know is maybe not the differences between all of us, but the fact that um, the main thing you can do is open your heart. Just open your heart. And if you don't know the difference between someone who's identifying as a cross-dresser and someone who's identifying as a transsexual woman, if you don't know the difference between those two things, that's still okay. It, what matters more is that you approach them with love and with kindness and curiosity and that, you you know, a deep dive into their sexual and gender identities might not even need to be the first thing out of your mouth when, yeah. you, when you befriend them. Yeah. I, I, I like the way you phrase that because I've... I find that people who want to be respectful are really scared of making mistakes and they're just overly careful and that causes them stress. Yeah. Also, I mean, I, I increasingly, and this is not only as my, in my experience as a writer, there is that, that classic creative writing message, you know, show, don't tell. So sure. I can tell you about all kinds of identities and I can, I can explain my journey to use that word. We, we now overuse uh, too much, but more important is the showing. You know, you want to know about my life. Look at me. This is how I live in the world. This is how I, um, this is how I am human. And you, you know, you may not need to know everything about my chromosomes or what drugs I took or, you know, if I had my nose fixed. Like, you know, I mean, we can get to that. No, and no, this is my nose. I'll have you. I'll have you. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anyone would pay to have this nose. But I mean, who knows? Maybe someone. Maybe it's called a. You know, the full boiling. I just think that when you, 15 years ago, we were talking about in 2003, you were on the Oprah show. You were talking in very big outlets. And it was okay. so vital and important for people to see, you know, the word normal is, you know, people have I issues know. with. But if it doesn't offend you, I want to call you normal. You're, you, you're a professor. You're a wife. You're a mother. Yeah. Well, and, and in some ways, every once in a while, when I speak to those audiences I was describing earlier, I'll, I'll have a group of... Um, fairly kind of self-identifying um, radical people um, uh, in the in the in the front row who I can see kind of going. In fact, one time a group of people I could hear them sighing audibly as I told my adorable little stories of how we should all love each other and how I was raising my family. And especially, I think at an earlier stage of my career, I think non-binary people didn't find much use in my kind of in what seemed like embracing a so-called normal identity. Now, I mean, I kind of want to say, well, look, I tell you what, I'm still doing this work almost 20 years later. I've been married now for almost 30 years to the same woman, 12 years as husband and wife, almost 18 years as wife and wife. And I think in some ways there's nothing more radical than raising a family. You know, it's again, it's that showing rather than the telling. Now, believe me, as this program makes clear, telling has a place too. But some, somebody said to me one time, the most important thing I did on that Oprah show the first I was on that show a bunch of times, but the first time I was on that show um, was I sat there in my Ellen Tracy suit and um, was relatively calm and relatively funny and sudden because I because I th I think the thing is people used to think that transgender experience, well and gay experience for that matter, but certainly transgender experience was from some far off place from from you know from the planet Jupiter. People, including people like my dear friend, Kate Bornstein, who identify as outlaws. I love that. I say, be the outlaw that your heart demands that you be. But it's also okay if you have other more important things to do with your life than, than being trans or gay uh, or bi 24 hours a day. You know, if you want to, if you want to, if you want to be a parent, if you want to be a teacher, if you, if you want to run a, a, a television show, that's what you should do.
and then and and because because we do everything as gay people, we do everything as trans people, and so our identities as queer people is is not about um, how we have sex or what our bodies are shaped. Like our identities as queer people are about how we breathe the air, how we drink the water, how we laugh from the bottom of our hearts um, and cry big fat tears sometimes too. Those are, it's, those are the ways in which we are human. And um, so when we talk about gay experience, we're not talking about how people have sex. We're talking about, you know, every, every breath you take from the moment you get up to when you go to sleep. Yeah. I, I feel deeply obligated to, to give back to the community, to do service work for the community, etc. And I feel that need to give those hours because I think that the harder job is actually what I discussed with my friends, like being in Maine and being like the only one. Yeah. Although as I've learned now, I'm not the only one. <laughs> I now teach at Barnard College, which is, um, part of Columbia University in New York City, but I worked at um, Barnard, at, um, excuse me, at Colby College in Maine for 25 years. I love teaching there, um, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm happy to have my new gig, but um, uh, at a certain point I got an opportunity to, to do something else, so now I'm doing something else. So they replaced me at Colby College. When I left, they hired, you know, a new person. Um, they hired a young woman, uh, uh, another, you know, another English teacher, and uh, they took my... Um, my old office, and the summer after I left, the person came out as trans. <laughs> and now he, and now he is like, you know, uh, a trans, trans professor at Colby College. I'm like, geez, you think it's something in the air? Is it, is it like the water fountain down the hall? What's, what's the deal? So there are thousands and thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of us across the country and in, in little places like Maine and Cheyenne, Wyoming. And, and uh, what's different is that now people can come out. Now people can be visible and be known. And to a certain extent, that makes it easier. Although I should also, you know, to go over to the dark side, I should also say that, that with increased visibility also comes increased blowback, increased resistance, and in some cases, increased violence. Um, and and in, increased um, legislation against us by people who who used to give us a pass because they didn't know that they were supposed to hate us because they didn't know we existed. So now isn't now, that a necessary hump though? Yeah, I guess it's the. Although I kind of like the idea of a necessary hump. Let's just parse <laughs> that phrase. But um, well, we used to get away. I used to get away with a lot of things because I was just under the radar. You know, like. Um, you know, I, I went to the the, um, the Bureau of Motor Vehicles in Maine and just you know told them, oh, would you look would you look at this? They put an M on my driver's license when they should have put an F. And the person behind the you know the window was like, ha ha, oh, that's so funny, Miss Boylan, we'll fix that for you right away. And and you know, and I, no one asked to see a birth certificate. No one asked to see you know a, a contract from you know from from a lawyer i was like "Ooh, would you look at that funny thing okay we'll fix that so um so now there's a whole process and so now now in fact i couldn't do that now there are uh there are rules i mean the rules aren't at least in maine aren't too bad but um um so yeah it is a necessary process um i'm i'm sorry that um the the blowback generally doesn't fall upon me and on, you know, white ladies of privilege uh, from New England. Um, the, the blowback falls upon people of color and women of color in particular uh, in the transgender community. Um, not only, but particularly people who are doing sex work. Um, some people who 
want to do sex work and other people who have to because that's um, kind of the only way to um, keep the lights on while you're trying to figure out what to do with your life and how to how to get from where you are to where you want to be. And it, and it costs a lot of people their lives. So um, that's another thing that's changed from 2003 is that I'm uh, I'm I mean I'm not I'm not, I would never speak for um, someone else, but I try to honor uh, the experience of of people who aren't me and, and, and particularly to um, shout out to um, people who are really at risk. I mean, in this new world that we're in, we're all, we're all at risk, but um, transgender women of color are, in, are um, at, uh, are at particular risk and, um, and we need to change that. Um, and um, so to the extent that I can be a positive force for that, to help educate people in this country so that people can live their lives without fear and they can know that the law protects them too. Yeah. And and, and with your visibility, you mentioned, did, was that your plan all along? Yeah, my plan. No, um, my plan was to do one memoir, to do She's Not There, and then to go back to writing novels. Because um, I figured, I used to, I used to say to people, you know, I'm not an activist, you know, I'm, I'm just an English teacher. And what I've, I mean, sometimes I even still say that, but what I've learned is that English teacher means activist, that there are a lot of different ways of being an activist, and one of them is by telling stories. So as a storyteller, I thought, okay, there's a place, there's a place I, could, I could do something good. I, I, so I asked about your visibility and as if it was a choice earlier, because for a lot of people in America, you were the first person they saw who was transgender on TV when it wasn't sensational. You know, it wasn't on Jerry Springer. I was thinking back to Rosa Parks and she, <laughs> this makes sense, I promise. But no, also, <laughs> well, you're, if you're comparing me to her, I'm a little flabbergasted. Uh, to her story, because when I learned about Rosa Parks, she was this cute older lady that was sitting on the bus and she just really wanted to sit down in the front. And then only later did I find out that this was part of the plan all along, and she was actually like the second person, but the first one, you know, we don't is not as famous, and mm. this was part of the movement. And you were making a lot of rounds. She's not there. Was the first book by a trans author in the country to hit the New York Times bestsellers list. I didn't know if that was a choice to make it Jennifer Finney Boylan, or if it was an accident. Um, it was an accident. The the um the publisher, in fact. I, I don't think really knew what was going to happen with this book. It was certainly not the book that Random House expected to, to be, be a bestseller. Um, and um, I will say that um, being on the Oprah Winfrey show helped a lot. Um, the fact that halfway through the, the show, Oprah s- decided to make it two shows, um, that helped a lot. Um, uh, it helps a little bit that I'm an English teacher and I, I mean, I know how to teach a class. I mean, I know I'm not, I'm not the, per, I'm far from the perfect spokes model for, for our people, but I, I do know, you know, if everything goes just so, I think I can teach a pretty good class. So I just, you know, whenever I get nervous about that role, I, I just pretend I'm teaching a class, but no, it was not a, it was not, um, a, a plan. I, if it were a plan, I would have done it differently. Um, but, um, uh, the, I was surprised that people wanted to hear me keep talking about these issues. Um, because, I mean, there there have been other transgender authors um, before. Um, Kate Bornstein's work was groundbreaking in the 90s. Um, and there were books by, by or about other transgender people before. Um, but I think the fact that my book was um, a book by someone trained as a writer and that it kind of read like a novel, 
I think that's what brought in all the kind of, you know, Midwestern book club moms. Um, you know, it's She's Not There is not the most radical book you're going to read in the trans canon, but it is, I hope it's one of the books that's written well. It was funny. There was a there was a BuzzFeed article a few years ago that had like a list. There was like a, a listicle of trans memoirs, and the good news is that she's not there. It was number the number one memoir, but the I don't know if this is the bad news, but the the little tag afterwards said, "This is the book to give your mom." <laughs> and to the extent that it was not a plan, I can tell you that um, she's not there, and a lot of my writing is not aimed. Primarily at a trans audience, or even at a at a queer audience, it was aimed. It was aimed at you know my mother's bridge club. It was aimed at um, moms who are concerned, moms who are maybe uncomfortable with with talking about um, LGBTQ issues. At least at least they were in, in up until the nineties, um, but who want to do well by their children and who are moved by the story of someone who seems familiar. Somebody after I was on that first Oprah show, somebody emailed me and said. In fact, I remember she was from Omaha, Nebraska. I forget her name, but she said, "Jenny Boylan, the weird thing about you is that you seem almost like a person somebody could know." To me, that's an amazing phrase because that's the thing right there that I think we used to think of transgender people. I said Jupiter before, wherever it was, it wasn't next door. It wasn't somebody that you could know. And now I'm hoping. Not only as a result of my work, but as a work of of of, um, of many people who are now living their lives openly and uh, joyfully. Now there's a lot of people that you could know that are trans and um, and who are and who are trans not the way I'm trans, but the way that they're trans, and that all these different ways of being trans are cool. Yeah, and, and, and could you have anticipated or predicted where we were going in terms of trans people and gender uh, non-binary people and gender non-conforming people? Uh, the thing that that got my attention, I mean, if I if I had to kind of tick off the the the, the turning points um, uh, of the last fifteen years or twenty years, because I, I came out almost twenty years ago, right now, or I came out to my family anyway. So the marriage equality movement was a, was a big um, change, and not only because people could get married, which is the the obvious thing that that movement achieved, but the marriage equality movement also changed the way we te- we 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 they the country. Um, cis and straight people talk about queer people. And by that I mean this. It used to be that if you asked a bunch of straight people, particularly straight guys, uh, let's say middle-aged white guys, guys like that about about gay men, you'd probably get a ha-ha-ha and a little nasty joke about how gay men have sex. So there was a kind of middle school um, dirty joke approach to talking about queer people, if you were a straight person. And so the conversation was about sex, the marriage equality movement changed the, the discourse to a conversation about love. Because if you, I mean, if you went to my mother's bridge club and said, hey, who here is in favor of buttfucking? Well, one or two ladies might have raised a hesitant hand, but most of them would have been very embarrassed. If you said, who here is in favor of love? Okay, everybody's hands up. Everybody's hands up. Because wh- who's, who's going to be against love? Or if you're going to be against love for gay people, you're going to have to explain why gay people don't deserve love. And then you're going to have to do these kind of contortions. So the, the um, uh, marriage equality movement made it possible for the discourse to, to change from sex to love. And believe me, we need a discourse around sex. Well, anyway, I, I, but we're not gonna, I'm, I won't do a deep dive there now. So 
that's the first thing that happened is that is that the the conversation the national conversation around queer lives became more dignified and became more um respectful in some ways as a result of talking about love so that's one thing that happened um I will leave it for others to say what effect she's not there had on on the movement. I know that the book came out right at a moment when the culture was changing. A lot of things were in the air, and Oprah Winfrey, in presenting me for several days as to use that word fairly normal seeming seeming um, y- then youngish middle aged woman uh, with a family um, and children and and students who appeared to love her. That was a moment also that changed the conversation because because with transgender people, we didn't used to talk about sex, but we always talked about operations, operations. Tell me about your operation. Have you had the operation? You know, where did you get your operation? Can you have an orgasm? That's that was the number one question that used to be asked me every time I'd speak anywhere. Can you have an orgasm? I'm like, yeah, I can have an orgasm. Can you write a book? So another key moment for me was when was it Carmen Carrera? And uh, Laverne Cox were on the Katie Couric show, and she asked about, you know, tell me about your operation. And I think it was Carmen, and certainly Laverne, who said, we're not going to go there. We don't do that. That's not what this is about. Um, and there was, and really, and, and I wish that I'd had the courage to do that with Oprah, because Oprah asked me that question, and I was like, you know, yes, I have a vagina. And Oprah began singing to me. Uh, well, check the tape. She sang, yes, she has a vagina. And I was, I sat there. Really? She sang that, yeah. And, and I said, actually, what you mean to say is, yes, we have no bananas. Ha, ha, ha. So I made a little, I made a little joke back to her. And I kind of sat there and took it. But, you know, later I, I, was, I remember I was on the plane going home thinking, that's not cool to, to say that. But then there was, there was no sense of anybody pushing back. And I, didn't, and I guess I was not courageous enough to to push back i also i was i you know i was a little intimidated by oprah so i didn't do that but later but later carmen and laverne did and that was a huge moment and now people know that you have a transgender person on your on your show or or your tv show or whatever that that's not what the conversation is going to be about And, and people had a lot of questions just about the definition of transgender and so they're navigating that and that is what i find with non-binary people today we had asia kate dylan on the show oh. they're the first non-binary actor on tv yeah. and we we only had them for 25 minutes and we spent about 20 minutes talking about their gender yeah you know that kind of killed me because it negates their amazing accomplishments yeah it's just where we are today i feel like also well i would say that as much as my heart wraps right around non-binary people i also have to accept the fact that that's not my identity and so it's you know we should be having non-binary people tell their stories we don't want you know we shouldn't be having jenny boylan explain the lives of people whose experience of gender is really different from mine um i'm a fairly binary person in in some in 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 most ways actually and that's a good thing too but i i feel like yeah there's just so many ways of of being trans if someone tells me that they want you know what their pronouns are or what their name is like I'm gonna call them their name that by by that name and those pronouns and I, I kind of don't want to know a, a whole big thing about their theory of gender because, on the one hand, how incredibly cool that that we're at a place now where you can say here's here's how my experience of the world and my experience of my body and my psyche is going to translate into my human experience before you and this is the way the language is going to reflect that okay so we can we can do a whole deep dive on the other hand. 
it's boring. And I don't want to, I don't want to know. I don't, I mean, you want me to call you, you want me to call you this name and this pronoun? Great. So now let's talk about the Red Sox, you know, (laughs) or, or let's talk about the Grateful Dead. Um, to pick to pick two talk two topics that everyone wants to talk about, you know, with you. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just it's just you know I, I'm on Twitter a lot, of course, uh, and um, frequently, particularly when I when when I do something that gets me in front of the um, the, the the headlights of the right wing media, which is more often than you think. I I get these trolls who start taking me down and who are want and want to say you know. Um, who say actually we should say him with you or you know your name is and then they'll use my 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 name of twenty years ago. Are they googling and, you to find that out? I don't know what they're doing, but but what I quickly say is okay. Um, what's what's your name for the president after Nixon? And they'll be like, well, President Ford. I'm like, well, actually, but Gerald Ford is a name he made up. His his actually his birth name was Leslie King, but we all call him Gerald Ford. You know, that's and, a fun fact. So, well, you know, Harry S. Truman, S doesn't stand for anything. It, it just, he wanted a middle initial, so he has a middle initial. So we call people, I mean, what's what's the the guy, the edge in, is it U2? The base, wasn't the bass player? The edge. Yeah. He has a real name, but we call him the edge, you know, because, because that's, you know. So, you know, I, I'm going to call him the edge because I say, what's your name? I'm the edge. Okay. You're the edge. Fantastic. You know, I'm going to call. And that doesn't cause you any stress. I'm going to call Cher. Cher. I don't even know what her last name is, actually, anymore. Um, I have no idea. Does it matter? You know, I'm going to call you your name. So how hard is this to do? I mean, I can give you a whole big, we can have a whole deep dive conversation about non-binary gender. And we need to have that conversation because because it's great. Because it's a thing we should celebrate. But you know what? Um, we should get out of the business of defending ourselves and explaining ourselves. If people say, and this is the thing that happens to me all the time now, that, that um, you know, every, about every six weeks, um, the Times or the Post or the Times of London or maybe on the Bill Maher show, there's some, there's some person who comes out, Milo, what's his name, come out and they had this thing about how transgender people aren't who they say they are or I think transgender children deserve to be laughed at, ha, ha, ha. And, and, and people will ask me to provide the defense to provide the counter and i'm now like you know what my my counter is my counter is look at me look at my life this you want to know how i refute you i refute you by living every day according to what's in my heart and according to the stars by which i pilot my boat and i'm not here to have an argument about my own humanity i'm not here to even participate in an argument about my humanity which i might actually win or lose right um, I mean, I'm happy to, to talk about all this stuff, obviously. It's it's interesting. But nobody should have to take part in a conversation in which their sense of self is um, something that they have to defend. Right. And that, that's whether you're non-binary or binary or, or, or mortal or immortal. Everyone should, we should, people should get to be themselves, period. Yes. Uh, I, I want to go back for a second. You said something really interesting that the, in terms of the gay and lesbian movement, it really ramped up when we rebranded and mm. talked about love. Mm. Right now, in terms of the trans movement, gender identity isn't sexy in terms of marketing. Yeah. I, I wrote a piece for the Los Angeles Times a couple of years ago in which I was trying to say we we should be, be kind of getting behind identity as, as the bridge, in fact, because on the surface of it, I, 
identity, someone not feeling at home in their body, someone not being who they are. Um, this is a thing that people who are cis or straight um, st- supposedly struggle with. Like, really? You, you, you were born in that body, and you, but you felt like, I mean, I can't imagine what that's like. And because people can't imagine it, they assume it must not exist. So the, the thing is, though, everybody knows what it's like not quite to be yourself to have something that stands between you and the person you hope to become. Um, And whether it's a fear you have to conquer or a test you have to pass or a way of seeing the world or being in the world that's different from where you are now, I think the experience of, of not quite being yourself, of not having an authentic identity is is universal or nearly universal. And the only people who don't suffer from this are people who have never examined their own lives. Um, and, uh, I mean, I know there are such people, but, um, do you think that identity is the word? I don't, it doesn't sound, you said, you said that's sexy. sexy. It doesn't. Yeah. Do you have a word? I don't. I'm seeking it out though. Me too. <laughs> I will um, call you when I find it. Well, uh, we, we, but I mean we, that very seriously because, because we talked about love Sudden, I mean, that's all it took yeah. to suddenly for people to open their hearts. And so um, you can say, be, your, be yourself, being, human being, being human. We need, I mean, it's... I kind of like that. How, how hard is it to understand that um, we're all trying to become ourselves? And if you don't, if you don't understand how, how somebody else is struggling to become themselves, just open your heart. You don't need to know, like I said before, you don't need to know the difference between intersex and gender non-conforming. Yeah. I mean, it's nice if you do, but if you don't, just, just, just open your heart. Be nice. And I think that... Just be nice. (laughs) Just be nice. I think that, like, it's going to have to be as simple as, I just want to be myself. You know? I, uh... I just think that many people in America hear the term gender identity and they're like, that means nothing to me. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't think we're going to solve that issue now, but uh, let me know when you decide, because I think you're going to get there faster than I will. Well, this is an important conversation we're having, actually, because so much depends on this. It's a thing I wrote about in the, in, um, in the, in, I had a piece in the Times last summer, um, a, a concept that the philosopher Edmund Burke, I promise you this is not boring, moral imagination means the ability to imagine the life of somebody who is not you. And I um, experienced this last year when, um, on, in one day, as a result of an accident, I lost um, about three quarters of my hearing. Like, one day, um, a thing happened. In fact, the fire alarm in my apartment went off really close to my ears, and when it, when it was off, I was three quarters deaf. And so since that time, I've been struggling to adopt to a very changed way of being in the world. And it used to be, it wasn't that I didn't understand that people are deaf. And it wasn't that my heart didn't go out to people who are deaf. But now that I am three quarters one of them, um, it's a very different experience. And I want to, and I, and you shouldn't have to lose your hearing to have compassion for people who are deaf. You shouldn't have to be trans or to have a child who's trans in order to have compassion for someone who's trans. You shouldn't have to be black or Asian or white for that matter in order to have compassion for somebody who is not you. So how do we compel people to imagine the lives of others? Anyway, like I said, that's that particular complaint and prayer 
is all over Long Black Veil, the new novel. It is. I really liked it. It's a thriller, but it's also very funny, I have to say. Oh, I'm glad you think so. Your wit is all over it. I am sneaky that way. Yes, also Lord of the Rings. Oh my god. Actually, there's a, there's a, there's a thing toward the end where the character... Um, there is a trans character. I don't want to give too much away. Um, there is a trans character, one of one of the six major characters um, wh- whom whom we meet as twenty two year olds at the beginning of the book. Later, as a middle aged woman, lo- long past transition, she's thinking about what's happened in in the movement, and 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 obviously she's not too far from me, and she's looking back over the last twenty years, kind of in the way that you and I have been, and thinking about how things have changed, and she's saying that she knows that the world is gotten to be a safer place for transgender people or for some transgender people anyhow but she said but i was never that brave she says i set out to save the shire and the shire has been saved but not for me and whenever i read that piece without any warning tears just roll down my face i don't know why maybe it's just maybe it's just i've got a frodo thing going on yeah or Elijah Wood. Or maybe it's because I feel a little bit like, if I do identify with that, I've never really talked about this before. I guess in some in some ways, I mean, I was glad to be able to be a person who helped change the culture and bring us to this place. But in another way, I feel like, how cool would it be to be in the next generation? To be in the generation where things are not quite so hard. Where when you came out, you didn't have to explain Everything, like you just invented the whole thing yourself. So when I say the Shire has been saved, but not for me, and there might be a little creeping self-pity, which is perhaps uncalled for, because really, I am one of the luckiest people that I know. I just think that you'd one line in the book, it was so small, but it just kind of got it in me because it said something along the lines of, I just want to call everybody I've ever met and say I'm sorry. Oh my God, yeah. Yeah, I had that feeling early on. Uh, you want to, there's a way of, and I don't know, I don't know if young queer people feel that way now. Oh, really? Because I would have countered with saying that's nothing about being trans, that's about being a human. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to say this vaude or court. Jeff, I, think but... you're, I think you're actually, I think you're right. I think that there is just a sense of, and late in his life, someone asked Jerry Garcia, was there anything you regret in his life? And he said something like, yeah, well, not really, except I just wish it all could have been a whole lot more fun. <laughs> and I, I guess I feel that way sometimes. But I, I do, it's, um, it's a heavy, it's a heavy burden, the feeling that you've let people down, the feeling that, um, somehow you weren't what they expected that, you know, if you, if, if I've complicated anyone's life, um, I'm thinking of my, my mother, my sister, um, my wife, and to some degree, my children and my friends. Okay. Well, everybody, um, if I've complicated people's lives, I don't know. I, I'm just enough of a of a sentimentalist to to feel sorry. Why should I be sorry? You know, I mean, should I be any sorrier for that than than for the fact that I'm three quarters deaf? Um, should I be sorrier that I you know for that than the fact that I had you know cataracts or that I lost a tooth? You know, so I mean, this is what it means to be human. Um, and I think what st- stops you probably from telling everybody I'm sorry is the fact that nobody's knocking on your door just to be like, hey, Jenny, by the way, I'm really sorry. And you're like, oh, for what? I forgot about that. And they're right. like, I've been thinking about it for years. Have, have you ever had anyone do that? Do Never. You? It struck me, though, because I feel like every day 
I wake up and I think, this is who Jeff is. This is who I am. I know exactly who I am. And then I just have to wait six months. And then I'm like, oh my God, who was that guy? Oh, old old Jeff. Oh, right. yeah. younger he Jeff. He knew nothing. Past Jeff. I'm so wise now and smart. And I just look like a completely different person every six months. Well, this is one of the weird things about having come out uh, as trans at, at about age 40. So I've, I've, I mean, I'm just shy of 60 now. So I have, I've had these three phases in my life, really, of 20 years each. I have 20 years of being a child oh, wow. and an adolescent. 20 years of being a youngish man, and then 20 years as a woman. 20 years is long ago enough now that I can look at pictures of myself as a younger woman and think, I'm not that woman anymore. In fact, I guess I've, I've been maybe three or four different women at this point in my life. Um, you know, early on in transition, I was very youthful. I was very, um, I cared a lot about um, my appearance and being and being sexy and, and my clothes. Fashion was really important to me. Passing was really important to me. Um, appearing cis, I'm, I'm sorry to say, was probably more important to me than it, than it should have been. Um, and then, you know, then I was like a soccer mom, you know. Um, uh, I don't know what I am now. I'm like, an, you know, an older, older stateswoman, maybe. I don't know. Um, but, you know, I, I'm at the point in my life now where I have a closet that has clothes in it that I haven't worn in a long time. And I look at those clothes and I'm like... Oh my god! I bought I bought that when I was in in my you know uh, my uh, bean phase you know oh how embarrassing you know or I bought that when I was in doing the J, the J Jill thing oh oh I'm so glad that's over. When you go through transition, like when you first have for for me when I had um, clothes in my closet that I wanted, it was such a huge thing. I couldn't believe. Oh my god! There's dresses. Look at these dresses. Look at all the dresses. Well, I don't wear dresses anymore actually because i mean except you know the graduation or something because you know i don't know they're cold or something maybe if i lived in california i'd wear more dresses but the thing that at one time in my life was the symbol of all that i had dreamed and hoped for and had been kept away from me had had now become has now become oh that that old thing i should give that away it's the um spectacular mystery of life is the way we keep becoming other versions of ourself. And in fact, maybe that's the way, getting back to this question of identity, maybe that's the thing. We still didn't have the language for it, but this experience of, you know, I, I had these clothes in my closet and then I had these clothes and I had these clothes. That's the thing I think it's this universal. All right, big thanks to Jenny for this. If you want to check out the book we were talking about, it's called Long Black Veil and it was just released in paperback. Now, if you enjoyed the interview even a little bit, please subscribe and tell your friends. When you help us spread the word on social media with a tweet or an Insta story, it not only makes our day, but it helps our show grow, which is so crucial. So thank you to everyone who's done that. I'm on Twitter at JeffMasters1. Don't forget to tag me. Now, it was announced a few weeks ago, but I wanted to let you know that we've officially partnered with Luminary, a brand new podcast app on the new season of this show. We are joining people like Trevor Noah, Malcolm Gladwell, Lena Dunham, Jeffrey Masters. Oh, that's me. If you want to check out what they're all about or sign up, do that before April 22nd. That way you'll be entered to win some super cool prizes. So you can do that at luminary.link slash LGBTQA. There's also a link in the show notes. All right, that's about it. We will see you next week. Goodbye.